Well, we have a tradition here at Grace Bible Church. Each year we pick a theme, and then it's our attempt to remind ourselves of that theme throughout the year. And I, I know that there are a number of occasions when I've pointed to our theme. And then at the end of the year, we do a review of that theme. It's more like, at least in my own mind, how well did we do? And probably like the rest of us, it's, uh, it went well, maybe better than we expected, and yet it could have gone a little better. So uh, we'll just have one more chance to, to look at this review of the 2023 theme, GBC theme, before we get into the 2024 GBC theme. But I thought it'd be interesting if, if I'd read some of the themes that we've had down through the years. The very first theme that we had was preach the word, and how apropos was that? Uh, to, to preach the word, that's what Paul had said to Timothy and commanded him. Okay, Ruxon, Tan, Lagan, you must preach the word. Then we, the following year, we had for a theme, renewing our minds in Christ. So we thought it necessary to be thinking about that, renewing our minds from Romans chapter 12. And then we looked at the goal of instruction is love. And that, of course, came from Timothy. Uh, the goal of our instruction is love. So we, we get into the word and we learn in the word, but we cannot forget love. The following year, we had something from Hebrews and it talked about spurring one another on. And so our theme was spurring on spiritual growth. And I have to admit, there was a little bit of a Western theme there. <laughs> The following year, we did training faithful disciples. So as we looked at the scriptures and looked at Timothy, it talked about faithfully passing on and teaching other disciples so that they could do the same. The following year, we must not have really tapped into the love because we, we, we decided to make it laboring in love. Uh, you, you can't really go wrong by talking about love as one of your themes. The following year, we said having the same mind as Christ and not just renewing our mind, but looking at Christ's mind. Then in 2014, we did from Joshua, as for me and my house, a year of commitment. We continued that commitment in 2015 to love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your soul, all your strength and with all your heart. 2016, as you might see even some of the posters, uh, like the one back there, we felt that we needed to devote ourselves to prayer. Not that we weren't praying, but we always need to do that, recommit. 2017, we looked at to walk in him. As Christ walked, so we also should walk. We looked at our walk in Christ. In 2018, we looked at where Christ said the words, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In 19, we were expecting the Lord to come, so we, I'm kidding, but we were always watching, and it was looking for the blessed hope. And then in 2020, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I'm not sure if we did that in pur on purpose or not, but it worked well. 2020. And then in 2021, equipping saints for service. Felt like that was important to look at that theme. In 2022, we looked at preserving the unity of the spirit. So we believe in unity, not at the expense of truth, not at the expense of doctrine, but you think about those believers who are within that same doctrinal belief, there needs to be a unity. And then this past year, we did pressing on toward the goal of Christ. And by that, I believe Paul means Christ-likeness. This has been one of my favorite scriptures and one of my favorite themes. And I'm looking forward to spending two weeks at least in, in going back and looking at it. Well, before we begin then and go back to the book of Philippians Chapter 3, let's begin with a word of prayer. 
Father, I thank you for the idea of themes. It's the idea, Lord, that we always keep you and your word before us. And there are particular things, Lord, in particular years that we feel like we want to emphasize in our own lives and in the lives of the church. Father, we ask you that, please, Lord, allow us to always be in accordance with your will and your wisdom and your plan with these themes. But even more importantly, Lord, by your grace, would you allow us to live them and not forget them when the year is over, but to put them into practice. And Father, would you always cause us to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ and his, and his likeness. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I'd like to first do is have you turn to Philippians chapter 3. We will go ahead and just pick up the context a little bit. Very interesting context. And so chapter 3 of Philippians begins with, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. I like that verse because if there's something that I've taught before, but I'm teaching it again, it's good. It's no trouble to me, believe me. <laughs> and it is a safeguard for us all. But he goes right into false teachers the criticism of the Judaizers who believed, yes, you should receive Christ, but you also have to keep the law. Or it's believe, faith alone, but not quite alone because you also have to add works, which is absolutely against the word of God. In fact, even this section. So he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So he's already combating that. And he goes into verses 4 through 6 to talk about his own credentials. Not to say I have my own credentials and I should be rewarded heaven, not that at all, but to say, look, if you want to talk about the flesh, if you want to talk about what you should be rewarded in, I, of most people, should have been rewarded in my own works, but I gave that all up. I counted it as dung. I counted it as refuge. And so in verse 4, we read, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But here is his point in verses 7 through 9. His confidence is not in the flesh, in himself, in works, but only in Christ. And verses 7 through 9 bring that very clear in a most profound way. Paul says in verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I love that verse. One of the clearest verses on salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. And then Paul begins to share his heart even further. Not only did he put the flesh and works aside to receive Christ by faith, but now he's starting to talk about what his desire was in his Christian life, his own Christian life that I may know him. And I know we spent some time on this 
the beginning of the year because I, you, just, you just love that. He just wanted to know Christ, wanted to know more of him, wanted to know him experientially, wanted to grow in him. And that's what it's all about. It is about Christ and the power of his resurrection, which doesn't just mean the fact that it took a lot of power to raise him from the dead, but the power that each believer has the same power that rose Christ from the dead is the power that you and I have to live the Christian life. For we died with Christ and have been raised with Christ. We heard that this morning. And then we see a little bit of humility. Paul doesn't want to say, hey, look, I've arrived. I'm holier than thou. We do know that there are denominations that believe that you can attain in the Christian life. Perfection, sinless perfection, oh no, you can't. And here's where he is going to say that. But we see his humility along with that. Verses 11 and 12, it says, And the fellowship of his suffering, verse 10, being conformed to his death. What do you mean? In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I don't think he's talking about, I hope I'm going to be saved and I hope I'm going to be raised from the dead. He means that I might attain living for God now, that I may live as one alive unto God, being united with the resurrection of Christ. And then he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And verse 13 he kind of repeats it, but he gives us more information and principles. He said, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And if you want to know what that goal is or what's the prize, I'll tell you in a nutshell. It is Christ-likeness. There is, in God's will and His plan for believers, a main theme. It's one of God's themes. It's one of God's eternal themes to make the believer more like Christ. We're going to take a look at this uh, this morning. We're going to look at this verse, verse 14 in particular, 13 and 14 in particular, the commitment towards Christ-likeness. That's what Paul had, and that's what we were supposed to have this year. That's what we're supposed to do. And then, I'm sure I don't really need to clarify what Christ-likeness is, but I will. Because I like to look at it in detail, and I like to look at it at, at its definition. And then what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at God's call to every believer to Christ-likeness. In other words, is Christ-likeness a good word for a theme? Well, it is, but it's more than that. I want to show you scripture after scripture after scripture where this is God's will for the believer, Christ-likeness. And then we'll make some applications. All right, so if you would, turn to verse 14. Let's go through this. I, I thought we need to really uh, go back to this verse since it is the theme verse. Hopefully everyone has memorized it. By the way, we're gearing up for a new 2024 mem memory program, so that'll be coming out here in a few weeks. Um, and uh, by the way, I want to thank everyone who did participate in our memory program and and uh, we have uh, quite a number this year who have completed it. That's good. So we'll, we'll continue on with that. Verse 14, again, Paul said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's work our way through that. The first thing we see is Paul says, I press on. He has not reached sinless perfection. We will all be sinless in heaven when we reach heaven. But now we will not. 
Now, we will never be sinless in this life, but we should sin less in this life. That ought to be the progression. And if, if you could see it in the Greek, it's literally, I am pressing on. He doesn't just do it once in a while. This is a continuous thing with the Apostle Paul. I am pressing on. I keep pressing on. And by the way, go back to verse 12. In verse 12, we saw the same word in the same kind of an action. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. I am pressing on. There is a commitment in the Christian life. There was a commitment with this verse, a commitment with this theme, and it's not to end at the end of our review. The commitment is to press on. Now, the word itself means an action anyway. It's a forward action. Uh, now, it can mean several things. It can mean flight, like to flee. It can mean pursue, pursue someone making them flee. Or it can even mean persecution. Someone like Paul, before he was saved, was pursuing and persecuting the church. But in this context, it's pretty clear what it means. It means pursuit. He's pursuing this goal. Perhaps a better word would be apprehend. He is attempting to apprehend this. Uh, he's attempting to apprehend this goal with every fiber of his being. He is not static. You know, one of the things that maybe we struggle with from time to time is being lethargic in our Christian lives. This verse combats that. This verse is the solution for that. Instead of being lethargic, we commit to pressing on and pressing on and pressing on. Last time we talked about this verse, we, we said that it, it reminded us of runners, perhaps long-distance runners, where it's not just a sprint and then you're out of air and you're out of energy, but it's a long-distance run. But even at that, I, I think this word really, uh, really explains what happens at the end of the race when you come towards the tape. And at the very end of the tape, that action that all runners do to give themselves one edge is they throw and thrust themselves forward to break that tape, to be the first one. We've seen in history where some have not done that and others who have expended that last little bit of energy, they came in first. That's a good definition of this word, I press on. I am stretching forward to accomplish this goal or to receive this goal. And speaking of the goal, what is the goal? Well, it's very interesting here because if you look at it, we've got, we've got to look at the word goal. We've got to look at the word prize. And we have to look at the words upward call. So first of all, the goal. This is what he's pressing towards. He's pressing towards the goal. Really, the goal in a nutshell is when we're in heaven, Christ-likeness. But that's his point. He's not waiting till he gets to heaven. He's pressing on now towards that goal, even though he will not be sinless in this life, he will press forward as far as he can. And by the way, that just tells us that, you know, if we are living the Christian life and then we're not really all that excited about it, we're static, we're, we're not going anywhere, you cannot use the excuse, well, we're not going to be perfect in this life, we'll be perfect in the next life. You can't use that excuse according to this verse. You must be pressing on. So the goal is Christ-likeness, but he's striving now to apprehend it as much as he possibly can through the Holy Spirit, through the new nature, through even the will and the action and the power that God has worked in him and that he's working it out. He is doing that to attain it as much as he can now. It will be fully realized in heaven. And I want to talk about that in just a moment. But now we have to do this battle. We have to do this race. 
But the goal is Christ-likeness, and it's here and now. That's what he's talking about. Ultimately in heaven, but in the meantime, we are pursuing that goal. Now, a couple of quotes I have here on this. First of all, Christ-likeness in living the Christian life. Paul uses the analogy of a runner to describe the Christian spiritual growth. The believer has not reached his goal of Christ-likeness, but like the runner in a race, he must continue to pursue it. That is the goal for every believer, and it's also clear from various scriptures. So with the Christian life, that's what we do. And, and I do love this. You know, as, as a pastor and then as elders, um, you wonder... You know, where is it that we're going? And, and sometimes you like it in a nutshell. Give me the big picture. You know, we look at the detail for sure, but what is the big picture? The big picture is what God is doing right now in sanctification to you individually is making you more like Christ. He is making you more like Christ with every absolute detail that happens in your life. Now, we're going to key in on that next week. But that's the idea of it. Everything that happens to you, God is working together to conform you to Christ. And it may be things that we don't like, that we didn't want, that we still may not like it. We're tired of dealing with it. But the purpose of it, that God has allowed it, is to work it for good. Now, God didn't cause the bad, but he's working all things, the good and the bad, together to conform us to the image of Christ. But I would also think too, what, what about ministry? I'm talking about the pastor and the elders and you know, how can we in a big nutshell, what, what is it that we're supposed to do here as elders in this congregation? Well, one writes, pursuing Christ-likeness here and now until we are made like him in glory defines the progress of the Christian life and the target of ministry. Now, I know there's a lot of detail that goes with this. You know, well, what does it mean to be like Christ? Well, we're going to talk about that specifically next week. But as you think about it, what, our goal is to see Christ formed in everyone. In fact, that's what Paul said to the Cor Cor uh, Corinthian church, the problem church, the, the church that I wonder if it caused Paul to pull out his hair. You know, we, we have... Two letters to the Corinthians in the Bible. It is, it is possibly presumed that there was a total of four. Two have only survived under God's sovereignty. Or God said, you know what? Two is enough. Two is enough. And you know what? The Corinthians were the problem church. He had to keep writing to them. He had to keep ministering to them. But he also said to them, I am going to be laboring in love until Christ is formed in you. And so that was the ministry. And so if we're talking about little children, ultimately we want them to come to Christ first. You cannot become like Christ until you come to know Christ. And then we truly want the children to have Christ-like character from the scriptures and from all of the uh, Old Testament scriptures and the events that they have in Sunday school, the, the, the ultimate goal is they become more and more like Christ, as well as adults. As well as when you go through the first two books of Kings, first and second Kings, it seems like every week it's the same application, right? You know, they just did not stay committed or faithful to the Lord. And yet, there were many applications within that, and ultimately it was so that we ourselves as a New Testament church are being committed to being Christ-like. That's the goal. But now notice he says, I press on toward the goal for something. It's for the prize. Well, at this point, in a nutshell, the prize is Christ's likeness in heaven. So the goal is getting there, 
but the prize is actually being there. And it's actually receiving Christ's likeness in heaven. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. It reads this way. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? There it is. And it's a human example, a human analogy. Run in such a way that you may win. Well, he's really talking about spiritual things. He probably doesn't need to talk to us about competing because we all, if we are competing with something, we want to win. And not that that is wrong. Not, not that that is wrong, and sometimes that's something that spurs us on. But in spiritually, we want to do it in such a way that we're, we're apprehending Christ-likeness now, and we're looking forward to the prize, the prize. It's the same prize that was used for the Greek Olympic Games that were handed out. And then you know what they would get if they won? They would get leaves made into a crown called the Stephanus. Not gold or anything like that but, is that, but there was a lot of honor in that. There was a lot of honor in that. For us, we will have crowns. We, we see that in scripture. But the prize is really Christ-likeness. That's what heaven is about. And we'll, we'll talk about this in just a second. It's perfect Christ-likeness is the prize. Though we don't fully obtain it here, we will there. And with the phrase, we will be like Christ, there's scripture, 1 John talks about that. We will be like him. Now, believers, according to scripture and from experience of knowing us and knowing other believers, believers look forward to heaven for several reasons, do we not? One reason is that we will be with Christ forever. Hallelujah. Another, and I don't think this is wrong. In fact, I, I hear this quite often and I feel this way quite often. Another is that we will no longer have to deal with sin or the sin nature. Whew. Man, be, be, be great to shed that. Another is to seeing loved ones. We certainly want to do that. And you hear so many of, of believers and loved ones who go on to be with the Lord, and we are looking forward to see them. I, I do wish that I had more time to spend with my mother more than six months after she received Christ. It was, it was amazing. I would have loved to see what happens with my mom as she would grow in Christ. I'd love to see your reaction as my mom would have come to this church. <laughs> uh, she was, she was, uh, there was no guile in her. There was, there was no guile in her. And, and uh, when she didn't want to receive Christ, she said, Daryl, do you really think your mother is a sinner? And just knowing my mom, I, I, you know, I had to take a big gulp and I finally squeaked out, well, mom, we're all sinners, you know. But when she, the Lord got a hold of her life and we went to visit her there in the home, it's almost as if she grabbed me by the collar and said, I want to know how to get to heaven. And she came to Christ. And I would have just loved to see her grow, but I'm going to get to talk with her and see her again, as well as my father. And be with Christ. And I do think that we really want to see Christ first because he's the reason why we're there. But there is still another reason why we look forward to heaven. Paul gives us another reason. It is that for which in this life we pray. We pray to be Christ-like. Lord, make me more like Christ. By the way, when you pray that, he does answer that. And he will take the details in your life to make you more like Christ. He will answer your prayers. But we strive for it diligently in this life, and that is to be perfect like Christ in our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, and our actions. When we get to heaven, that'll, that'll be it. 
we will be able to understand everything in this life perfectly with the right attitude and the right perspective. It's very hard for us to get that now. You know, it's very hard for us to get that now. There's things that bother us, the things that get us upset. Um, it's hard to, to separate our emotions from what we should actually do. We get to heaven, there won't be a battle with that at all. There won't be a battle with that at all. And, and I want to say something else. It's not just that. We love the Lord Jesus Christ. His character and His glory are beautiful. There is no more beautiful thing than the attributes of God and the attributes of Christ. And we will be like him. Oh my word. We will be like the one whom we love with all of our heart and all of our soul and the one who loves us because he died in our place and saved us. That is the prize. Quickly, he then says, I press on or I am pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, in a nutshell, I'm doing a lot of nutshells today. In a nutshell, the upward call is a heavenly call. It's when we're called to heaven. Meaning we pass away in this life and immediately we are in the presence of the Lord or by the rapture. It's our heavenly call home. So Paul is not forgetting those things. Paul understands those things that that's when it's going to happen. But in the meantime, he is pressing on. Now this call is only for those who know Christ. It, it does no good for an unbeliever to try to act like Christ. And by the way, I think you'd be hard pressed to find an unbeliever wanting to be like Christ. I think if you find an unbeliever who wants to be like Christ, they're a very close step to trusting Christ. But, but unbelievers don't want to be anything like Christ or submit to Christ or want to be anything like Christians unless the Lord gets a hold of them. And we have to first come to Christ. I said that about the children, but it's true about us as adults. There's no sense listening to this sermon if we don't know Christ. There has to have been a time in our lives when we realize we are sinners, we are separated from God because of our sin, and He's holy, and He sent His Son to come and die on the cross for our sins and take our punishment. And then at some point, we reach out and embrace Him as our Savior. Jesus, I believe you did that for me, a sinner. And the moment you do that, you are forgiven, you are given eternal life. This has nothing to do with works. This has nothing to do with baptism, as we talked about this morning. It only has to do with faith alone and Christ alone. You're my Savior. I trust you as my Savior. And the moment you do that, you are forgiven from all of your sins. You have eternal life. You're not perfect yet, but you're on, you're on God's easel of making you like Christ in this life until we have our upward call and he makes us like Christ. I, I want to emphasize at this point, verse 9 here. The, by the way, Philippians was our, our key book that we were doing memor, memorization from. And I've, I've taught the book of Philippians, and I've read these verses. But it wasn't until I was memorizing these and came across Philippians 3.9, I thought, man, if there is ever a verse that says salvation is by faith alone. There's only two religions, in a sense, if you want to use the word religion, there's those who try to work their way to heaven, which will never happen, and those who trust Christ alone by faith. And look at this verse. Paul said that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, not by works, but that which is through faith in Christ. For, for those who denominations that believe you have to work, get this. But that which is through faith in Christ. And if you can't get that, read the next phrase. 
I'm talking about the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's the righteousness that Paul had when he trusted Christ. That's what Paul gave up on everything, every work, every confidence in the flesh to receive Christ by faith. That is salvation. And when you do that, then you also move towards verse 10, that I may know him. You love him because he saved you, and now you want to know him. You want to immerse yourself in him and knowing him. And, and not only that, but you want to know the power of his resurrection through spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit. We won't attain it in this life, but we will in the next. But in the meantime, we press forward. We push and commit to apprehend. So let me just summarize what we've just looked at. The goal is Christ-likeness, which takes place now. The prize is Christ-likeness in heaven when we get there. The upward call is the time when God calls each believer up to heaven and into his presence. And that will be the moment of receiving the prize, which has been pursuable here, but unattainable here, but will be inevitably ours in heaven. Now, let me move from the text, and I want to read, I want to read clarification of Christ's likeness or some definitions on Christ's likeness. And I think we know, but let's know more. Let's, I mean, what's wrong with reading more definitions that I get this in my mind and get this in my soul? The first one will start out with the simple. Simply put, I should have put in a nutshell there, but simply put, Christ-likeness is being like Christ. Or Christ-likeness is emulating Christ's mind, Christ's thoughts, Christ's attitudes, and, and that just seems to be the biggie, does it not? I don't know. That's that's where the a big battle is for me in the attitudes to make sure my attitude is right. Christ's attitudes, Christ's words, and Christ's actions. That's Christ's likeness. Someone writes this. Christ's likeness is the process by which believers are conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, especially in relation to obedience to and trust in God. So we'll talk about obedience of Christ next week. Through the Holy Spirit, God refashions the believer in the image of his Son, who is set before them as a model of the form of the redeemed life. Another, believers must allow God to make them Christ-like. So it's not just me just trying to emulate Christ. Uh, I need to know the character of Christ. I do need to pursue, but it is God's work. Believers must allow God to make them Christ-like, which is the natural goal of their process of growing in faith. Christ-likeness is not achieved by people merely trying to imitate Jesus Christ, but by God making believers more like his son in sanctification through the Spirit. Or put simply again, Christ-likeness is Christ living his life in and through you. Christ living his life in you and through you to produce his character. Well, I'd like to just spend the remainder of the time that we have looking at scriptures that call us to Christ-likeness. You know, where does this come from? You know, uh, you know when, you, when, when we're reading this verse here, pressing on toward the goal of Christ, you know, I, when we first started this out this year, I, I really wanted to make sure, am I getting this right? Is it really Christ-likeness? Or, or am I taking what I want it to be and putting it in the text? 
And I, I believe I have not. I believe that this is exactly what this text is talking about. And by the time you look at all of these other texts that tell us this is what God is doing, you realize, oh my word, that's what it has to be. The first one is Romans 8, 28 and 29. So I'd like you to turn there. This is our call to Christ's likeness. And I, I wanted to look at other verses that say that. You know, there's just something about this in Bible study. There's just something about seeing something over and over and over in Scripture and in other Scriptures. You do that long enough, and you come away saying, there's, there's no other way to view this. I mean, God, it's clear that God, this is what God is teaching. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And by the way, we're really going to key on this next week. I think this is so important. But Romans 8, 28 and 29 and there are some other things in this verse, but I don't want to go down some of these uh, trails. I want to key in on something. That, that is being conformed to the image of Christ, verse 29. All right, look at it, verse 28. And we know, it means we perceive. Paul's saying, from knowing Christ all those years, knowing the word of God, he perceives this is true. And by the way, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We know it. We perceive it. We see it in scripture. We know it to be the case. And this is what's happening. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, look at the end of that, to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. That, those are two descriptions of believers. That is not a condition. I, I, I mean, it, it's not, well, if, if you don't love him enough, he's, he's not working all things together for good in your life. No, what it means is you're a believer. A believer is described as one who loves God, one who's been called according to his purpose. And if you are one of those, then God is indeed causing all things to work together for good in your life. But if you're not, if you're an unbeliever, all things are not working together for good. Now, God is working in those lives to bring them to Christ, but if they reject Christ, it will not end up good. It will not end up good. So that's why Paul clarifies this. Look, if you're a believer, it has to be good. You know, somebody says to you, how are you doing today? And you're not really feeling that good. You can say good because God's causing all things to work together for good. So I may not feel that way, but I know it's going to be good. The second thing is that God causes all things to work together for good. God is not, we're not saying God causes the bad. But God does take the bad as well as the good. And he works it together for good. And we'll talk about exactly what good is in just a moment here. But this is what God is doing. So whether it's good things in your life or bad things in your life, whether you perceive it that way or whether it really is that way, he is causing it to work together for good. That is what God is doing. And what is the good? The good is found in verse 29 for the believer. It doesn't just mean everything's going to end up okay. Okay, but... But I have to say, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that for, for a believer. It is going to end up okay. You're going to end up in heaven, regardless of what happens here. But what it really means is, I believe, his purpose. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. So what's he saying here? So all the good, all the bad, all the whatever happens in your life, he is working it, causing it causally. They're not doing it, but God is working it out to make you more like Christ and to conform you to the image of his son. Even next week, I want to talk about some of the things that happen to us experientially in our life. 
And we say, there's no way that that could conform us to Christ. Yeah. And, and it's very simple. I, I'm going to talk to us about how, how you figure out. Well, if, if you're stuck in a, in a situation where you're having trouble getting along with someone, okay, you're even having trouble loving that person, guess what character of Christ God is using to develop in you? Love. Okay, let's say you're doing pretty good with love, but it's the patience that's bothering you. And everybody says don't pray for patience because then you're going to get tribulation. Don't even listen to that. It, don't, fine, don't, pay for, don't, don't pray for patience. Do you think God's going to stop and, and not, well, we, I'm sorry, but we can't work on patience on him because he's not praying for it. No, he's going to do it anyway. And no matter what you pray for, you have that possibility. If you pray for Christ-like character, Christ was persecuted. You may experience persecution. Christ was falsely accused. You may be falsely accused too. What good is this? You're now knowing how much he loves you and what he did for you and what he went through for you to go to the cross. So we'll pick that up next week. So we're not done with this yet. But this is such a great verse. I love this. And let's go back to verse 29. He even predestined all these things to work together for good. To make us in the image of his son. And the word for conform, uh, it, it, it means to make similar in nature. We're being made similar to Christ. Now, when I say that, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we're going to be divine beings. I'm not going to say we're going to be, you know, God, and then we're going to find out that, yeah, we always were God, and we really created the world. And No, I'm not saying that at all. There are, there are certain attributes that God has that we he created us in his image to have as well. Now, we'll never have eternality. We'll never have you know, omniscience where we know everything. We'll never have omnipotence where we can do all things. But God loves, and, and he, he tells us we can love. God is righteous and holy, and we can have that. And this is what he's doing when he brings these things in us. Those things which we see the God-man have in the scriptures. We just talked about the God-man being born, the theanthropic person. Well, that human nature of Christ with all of those attributes are attainable to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's attainable to us. Now, the things that we see that are clearly divine in him, those are not. So, we see this is what we're being conformed to. And, and the, the word for image, it can mean resemblance or a likeness, but we're talking internally. I don't know how Jesus walked. I don't know. I'm not saying everybody wears sandals and we walk with sandals like Christ. I'm not saying that, but internally. By the way, we said last week that Jesus was the God-man and he was human. And when you looked at him, you could not tell by looking at him that he was God. He would have, as we said, he would have resembled Mary and Mary's side of the family. Not that he was feminine. I'm not saying that. But, you know, so, some people look like their fathers. And praise the Lord, some people look like their mothers. <laughs> and you would not have known that he was divine until you heard him speak or you watched his life. Or you saw his obedience. You saw the character. That is what we're being conformed to. That is the image, attitude, and actions. All right, the next one. Let's move on. The next one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And here's where it gets exciting because it's not just one verse. It's not just Romans 8. It's verse after verse after verse and you become convinced that's it. He is making us more like Christ. That is his ultimate will for us as believers in this life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, 
But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so the idea here is uh, our, our face is not veiled. Do you remember when, when Moses uh, met with God or God met with Moses and then when he had to go out to the people, he had to put a, a veil over his face? Well, we don't have that as believers. We don't have that. And, and we're, there, there's another veil that was removed and that's the veil of darkness in our understanding. That's been removed now that we're believers. And we actually you know, with the eyes of faith, can see Christ. We can understand Christ. We can see how he lived, and we can say, that's how I ought to live. As, as if beholding, but what are we beholding? We're beholding his glory. Now, when I think of glory, I always think of a Shekinah glory, and I always think of, you know, that, that divine light in the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. Really, glory speaks more to God's attributes of who he is. That's his glory. Now, it may end up being glorious in, in light to reveal that to mankind, but it is his attributes. It's his attributes. For all have sinned and fall short of the what? The glory of God. The character of God, the attributes of God. And so we, because we're believers with unveiled face and, and understanding of the, with the Holy Spirit, can see what his glory is more and more and more. And when we look at it, we're transformed just by looking at it. Some of it's, that's how I ought to be. Others is, we're just, we're just beside ourselves in, in the, thinking of the beauty of the Lord. And it says, we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from trial to glory, from difficult situation to glory. We're looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and we're becoming more like him all the time. This word for transformed, we get our English word metamorphosis, but it's not outward change it's inward change we see the word in romans 12 too and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed metamorphous by the renewing of your mind of course on the word of god so that you may prove what the will of god is that which is good and acceptable and perfect and i'm just going to interpret this right now i'm going to say what is the will of god the good and acceptable that you be made and conformed to the image of christ Turn with me now to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse, well, verses 2 and 3, but we'll read, we'll read verse 1. I don't want verse 1 to feel left out. Well, we sang this this morning, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Think on that for a moment. Meditate on that. We're, we've been placed into the body of Christ. We've been placed into the family of Christ. And we are God's children now, spiritually, in union with Christ. And then he says this, and I love this. Well, yeah, I know, it's kind of, we're kind of like that. No, and such we are. It's a fact. Count a fact as a fact when you see it in Scripture. And then he says, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And then he says, here we go, verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not appeared, or we could say appeared fully, as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. 
So we're still trying to figure it out on this side. We're pressing on like Paul toward the goal. We're, we're trying to grow in the knowledge of him so that we become more and more like him. But we don't fully know that. Well, we have a good idea saying, well, I know when I sin and my sin nature shows its ugly head, I know he's not like that. It says that when he appears, either we die in this life and go to be with him, his presence immediately, the Lord, or at the rapture, instantly we will be like him. Instantly. No more pressing on. We will have it. And the reason is because we will see him just as he is. We will see his glory, not through a mirror, but we will see his glory in reality and the power of God will change us just like him. The point, though, is that's what we should be working towards now. Look at verse 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the very process of thinking of this, the very process of working on this theme is conforming us to the image of Christ. It purifies us because we're looking at perfection in him. We see so much of the world today, whether we like it or not, the news and all of that. Well, there's a conforming part of that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? What? What do I look at? What do I think about? Christ! Christ! And as we have this hope fixed on him that someday I won't have to struggle with this and I won't have to struggle with that, someday I will be like him. That purifies us. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. So here's the Apostle Paul again, the great theologian who believes in application. <laughs> we talked about this this morning in our Sunday school. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. It begins with, do not lie to one another. Well, we know that. We know that lying would be opposed to God's character, who is a God of truth. But what's it based on? Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its practices. You've been spiritually baptized into Christ, into his death, and into his resurrection. And he's saying don't lie because positionally you've put sin and sinful nature aside. And then verse 10, and you've put on the new self. Now what is the new self? You know what the new self is? The image of Christ. And have put on the new self who is being renewed. Our new self is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created us. Why a true knowledge? Well, that's just what John said. As you're thinking about him, as you're thinking about you'll be like him, as you're thinking about you ought to be like him now, this purifies you through that true knowledge. What does that mean? That means you've looked at scripture and you've taken it from Scripture. This is not using your imagination or hearing a minister use his imagination, but telling you true knowledge from the Word of God, who he is, who we should be, and not what we want to be in the Christian life. And that's going on today. But now watch this. I th you could say to me, well, I thought you said we're being conformed to the image of Christ. We are. We're renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Well, that's God, yes. But do you remember in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 16? For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. In the book of Colossians, Christ is key, and I believe this is, an, this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it everywhere else about being conformed to Christ. Why does he say that? Because he taught us that Christ is God. God, uh, Christ is creator. So we see it once again. 
And you say, well, you know, I, I get it, and, and I see how you, you connect the dots to do that, but do you have any that's just plain? Yeah. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. It says... But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how it said to put on the new self? What is the new self? What does the new self look like? It looks like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says it. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul, the practical theologian, doesn't leave it there. He says, and oh, make no provision for the flesh. In regard to its lust. Do you want to know how to put on Christ? Well, if you're going to put on Christ, you can't be making provision of the flesh. If you're walking fleshly and carnally, you're not putting on Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So this is, this idea, and I'm going to have to stop here uh, I'm going to have to stop here lest we dip into the new year. Uh, I have to stop here with this. But there's more verses. There's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. There's Galatians 4.19. There's, there's even other scriptures. The continuing spiritual process in which those who have been saved by faith are transformed into his image and likeness. And so when, when we have a theme like this... I. I, I really feel good about it. I feel good about it because we're doing what Scripture says. That's the key. That's what we should be. So in our lives, we ought to be thinking about daily, am I walking like Christ? Am I thinking like Christ? Do I have the attitude of Christ? Do I have the actions of Christ? And I know we will come up short a lot, but that's how we progress. And there will be a day when we are completely and perfectly in the image of Christ. Now quickly, how does this happen? Well, we'll talk about it a little bit now and we'll talk about it a little bit next week. By being renewed by God's word. That's the true knowledge in the word that tells us who he is. The more that we get into the word and understand who he is and the knowledge of him, the true knowledge of him, we are conformed. The Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. And what's one of the Holy Spirit's ministry? To point to Christ. So as we read the scripture, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's pointing us to Christ. We see Christ's attributes and character, and this is what conforms us. Even a worst case level is, you know, I just read something the other day. Uh, Christ, Christ didn't do that, and here I am, I'm doing that. That's worst case scenario. Best case scenario is, here's the situation. I remember what Christ did. I'm going to do that here. Now, the question would be, what, what are we doing with the word? Yes, read the word. But I think you need to memorize the word. I think you need to take it with you. Or, or fine, take, take your Bible with you and be prepared to bring it out at all times. Or memorize it and have it with you when you need it. Now, what scriptures should you memorize? Well, I'm going to say just about anything in scripture. Because Jesus Christ was obedient to the word of God, to the law of God, and he did everything perfectly. So almost every verse you look at is, is really telling us what the character of Christ is. You say, well, what, is, what would be the character of Christ? He would have been a walking, talking Bible. And that's what we should be. Now, there are specific verses, and we'll talk about some of those next week. And, and I think the key is, you know how we press on? Is when in your life you realize, and if you're not sure, just ask your wife. But if they're in your life, if there's some areas that you need to work on spiritually, those are the scriptures you go into the word of God. See what scripture says about patience. See what scripture says about love. Do you know, can you quote uh, those verbs in the love chapter? 
If you can't, how can you be working on love? Love has to be patient. Love has to be kind. Love, Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unseemly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It doesn't take wrongs into account. Love does does bear all things. Love does believe all things. Love does hope all things. Love does endure all things. Love does not fail. And that's what you need to do. This is Christ who is every bit of every one of those and then you, you look at it. And the truth is, we'll see, yeah, okay, missing that one. Miss, yeah, I need to memorize the whole thing. And that's how we pursue this. You know, the scriptures, oh, by the way, Jesus is called the word of God. Jesus is called the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. There it is. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me, and this is Jesus speaking, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We're not asking for shotguns and ATVs and all that stuff. If your goal is the character of Christ, what are you asking for? Lord, help me be like Christ. Lord, there's a situation coming up over here, and I just usually mess it up. Will you help me be like Christ this time? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So we become more like Christ by renewing ourselves in his word and by committing to press on. With that, we'll pick the rest up next week. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, thank you for this exhortation. We, I, I think, Lord, we need to be exhorted. And, and Lord, we may have known this already, but like Paul, he doesn't mind repeating it. And, and, and he says it's a good safeguard for us that we never forget who we are to be more like Christ. Help us, Lord. We pray, Father, even as we gather again next week and we look at more of these things, perhaps even in detail, you would soften our hearts, Lord. Lord, why should we even have hard hearts when it comes to becoming more like the one who loved us so much that he died on the cross for us? Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are making us like Christ. Father, we're sorry that so many times we're not Christ-like. But we have hope in you, Lord, you who began a good work in us, and we know what that work is. You who began a good work in us will continue it to the day of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.